if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. We looked at Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what we discovered. We discovered that Jesus prioritized, Jesus prioritized relationships over temple sacrifice. In Jesus' economy, there was something that was more important than offering sacrifices, and that was relationships. Now, that seems hard for me to believe, because the central part of worship during the time of the second temple, the central part of worship, it revolved around you or I or a Jewish person bringing their sacrifice to the priest. The priest would take their sacrifice, they would slaughter it, and they would offer it up to God as an offering. Earlier part of Matthew was that Jesus went so far as to say this, if you're preparing to present your offering to the priest for sacrifice, and as you're doing that, if you remember that your brother has ought against you, you are to leave your gift at the altar and to go be reconciled to your brother, then come back and present your offering to God. What Jesus is teaching is he says that there is a priority of relationships over temple sacrifice And God was saying, I don't want your sacrifice from you now. I want you first to go and make things right with your brother. Then after that, you come back and offer your sacrifice. In today's terms, this is what God says. In today's terms, if you are preparing for your ministry, if you are writing out your tithe check, if you are doing your Bible study, if you are involved in intercessory prayer, if you are leading a small group, and you remember that your brother has ought against you, you are to stop what you're doing, go and be reconciled to your brother. After you've been reconciled with your brother, then you are to come back and present your offering to God. We see that Jesus puts a great priority on right relationships and the proper treatment of other people. In fact, I want you to hear this. Jesus introduces a concept in the Sermon on the Mount that's revolutionary. It had not been taught before in all of Scripture. In all of Scripture, this concept was not taught before. And what is this concept? Well, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. And this is Jesus talking. And he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Father God, we pray for the next few moments. I pray that you'd prepare our ears and our spiritual hearts to receive the teaching of Jesus. I pray that this teaching would transform the way that we think and the way that we live. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the new concept that Jesus is teaching? The new concept that Jesus is teaching, and this is a revolutionary concept, okay? We've heard it before, and we think we understand it, but I've got to be honest with you, I don't think we do understand it. It was shocking what Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount. It was something brand new to them. He says, I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The Old Testament does not explicitly say that we are to hate our enemies, but I challenge you to look through it, and nowhere does it tell us that we must love our enemies. It does say in Exodus 23 that if your enemy's donkey is lost or falls under a heavy load, help the donkey up. Proverbs says if your enemy is hungry or thirsty, give him something to eat or to drink. But most of the time, when you read in the Old Testament about enemies, and I would encourage you to break out your concordance and look at enemies and look at what the verses around it say. Typically in the Old Testament, when it talks about enemies, you will see it involving words such as swords, pursue them, utterly destroy them, the blood of thine enemies, something about your enemies licking the dust, treading down your enemies, your enemies being cut off. Typically, when you read the Old Testament, that's how it talks about our enemies. It would seem that the psalmist had a pious way of feeling towards his enemies. Obviously, if they were his enemies, then they had to be the enemies of God, right? Because we're always on God's side. And if you read Psalms 139, verse 19, he says, If only you would slay the wicked, O God, Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, when it talks about the Old Testament does have some prayers for your enemies, would you like to hear some of the prayers that the prophets prayed for their enemies? Let me share with you from the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He was God's appointed man. Listen to Jeremiah's prayers for his enemies. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 20. But, O Lord Almighty, you who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. He said, God, get them and let me see it. Don't get them behind the scenes. Get them publicly so that I can see it. The second prayer, Jeremiah, that we're going to talk about, Jeremiah 17, verse 18. Let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. Let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction, he says. Notice what he says. He says, God, put them to shame, but don't let me see any shame. Lord, let them be afraid. Let them be terrified, but don't let me be terrified. God, destroy them with double destruction. Get them, just utterly smash them and destroy them. The next prayer of Jeremiah we find is in Jeremiah 18, verse 23. But you know, O Lord, all their plots to kill me. Do not forgive their crimes or blot out their sins from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you, 
Deal with them in the time of your anger. What he's saying is, God, let them burn in hell. Don't forgive their sins. Don't let them find forgiveness. Don't let them find repentance. And God, don't deal with them on a good day. Wait until you're really fired up and angry and you've had it up to here. And then that's the day I want you to respond to them. One more. And the psalmist wrote in Psalms 137. Psalms 137, verse 7. And listen to what the psalmist writes. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundation. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy, listen to what he says. Happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who what? What's the verse say? He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. This is what the psalmist wrote. He says, happy the best day. The day I'm longing for, the day I'm waiting for, is the day I can take their baby out of that mother's arms and grab him by the leg and smash his head against a rock until his brains come out. That's going to be the best day of my life. I can't wait for that day happy to blessed. Does that sound like a blessed day? That you grab an infant out of a mother's arms and you grab him by the leg and you smash his head against a rock until his brains fall out? That doesn't sound like a very happy day. But that the psalmist, that's what he wrote about his enemies. May I be honest with you? I don't think that's a happy day. That's not a happy day for anyone. When you smash an infant's head against a rock, that sounds like a bitter, angry day. It doesn't sound like that will solve the problems or ease the pain of one's own heart. It would simply cause more pain, more sorrow, more bitterness, more remorse, more regrets. But that's what the psalmist said. He said, the best day, I can't wait for that day when I get to grab her baby and grab it by the leg and smash its head. Now, probably the closest that we come to Jesus' teaching, once again, this is a revolutionary teaching, is found in Leviticus 19, verse 17 through 18. You can turn there real quickly. Leviticus 19, 17 through 18. Leviticus talks about loving your own, okay? The Jews were instructed that they were to be good to their own, to their own people, okay? That was the teaching of the law, that you need to love your own. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at the verse. It says, do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his grief. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your own people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Remember whenever Jesus started teaching about loving your neighbor? And what did the people ask? Okay, well, who's my neighbor? Right? Okay, well, all right, you're telling me to love my neighbor, but but you need to clarify this. Just who exactly is my neighbor? And we find later on that Jesus tells the story of, of the Good Samaritan and the story there. But the teaching of the Old Testament tells us this. It says you need to love people who are like you. You need to love people who are of your own family, your own kin. 
those who believe like you, those who have a similar background. You don't hate your brother in your heart. You don't seek revenge or bear against a grudge against one of your own. I need to love my own family. I need to love my own relatives, people who are like me. And can we be honest? That in itself is a huge problem for many people. Okay, the challenges that Jesus teaches, and you can smile, it's all right. The challenges that Jesus brings to the people is he tells them, in the Old Testament, tells them to love their neighbor, to love people who are like them, to love people who think like them and believe like them and have the same background as them. But Jesus begins to expand it, and he tells them that they're to love their enemy. That loving the people who are like us is a challenge. It's hard for many people to do even that. May I suggest this to you? May I suggest to you that we commend ourselves. We pat ourselves in the back. Because what we typically do is we tolerate people. We tolerate people. That is, as long as no one crosses me, no one offends me, no one disagrees with me, and as long as they give me my way. As long as that happens, and like you give me about, about as much as I'm giving you, then typically what as church people what we'll say is we say we love, we, yeah, we love one another. We care about one another. What we mean is, you're, you know, you're not getting on my nerves very much. You're kind of giving me back about what I give you. You're kind of treating me, treat me pretty decent. You're not interfering with my plans. Can we take a moment and just take an honest look at ourselves? And whenever we commend ourselves as loving people, to really take a look at our hearts and see how loving we really are. How can we tell that? Well, when was the last time someone did not give you your way? How did you respond? When was the last time someone interrupted what you were trying to accomplish? How did you respond? You know, we all have our plans, and we all, if everyone would just get it, come into agreement with me, and everyone would just see it the way I see it, we'd all be doing fine, right? Isn't that how we think? But the last time that someone interfered with your plans, how did you respond? What was the attitude that was in your heart? Now, just to be honest with you, we could probably stop right here and have an altar call because the Holy Spirit is convicting some people. What we often do, there again, I think we think, well, I'm a loving person. I'm a loving person as long as you do what I want you to do. I'm a loving person as long as you agree with me. I'm a loving person as long as you don't interfere. But what was the last time, the last time someone interfered with your plans, someone had different priorities, someone questioned you, well, why are you doing it that way? And this is what our typical response is. Well, I just found out how they really are. I've known them for years. I didn't think they were like that. I just found out how they really are. May I suggest to you, maybe we found out how you really are. Maybe it exposed someone interfering with you. Maybe it exposed things in our hearts that we did not know were there. Other times, what we will say, and you know, maybe if we look, we're discovering God, are you saying I'm the one who's selfish? It's so much easier just to say that they're a jerk. It's so much easier to cut them off. What a lot of us do is whenever there's a difficulty in a relationship or a problem, what we want to do is we want to cut people off. Because 
that's easier than having to work through things. And it's certainly much easier than having to look at myself. Well, and this is some, some of the response. Well, I've decided I will not subject myself to that kind of atmosphere. Okay. If we can be honest, what that sounds like is a spiritualized version of a child's response whenever they're playing ball and they don't get their way and they say, well, I'm going to take my ball and my bat and I'm going to go home. That's not the maturity that Christ is looking to develop in our lives. Here's a point I want to stress to you. I think what many of us at times have done is we have labeled people enemies who really are not a true enemy. We've labeled family members an enemy. We've labeled fellow Christians an enemy. We've labeled neighbors and friends an enemy. In our hearts, in our minds, and and at times, at times we've blown things out of proportion. I can't believe they would say that about me. I can't believe that they would say that to me. Oh my goodness. And and there's times where, and, and please don't misunderstand me. I know that there are times when people have truly been hurt and offended. And I know people have gone through horrible experiences in life and abuse and and neglect and people violating people's trust and all of these things and understand that that's very difficult to experience. But I believe that there are times for some people that we've labeled a family member an enemy, we've labeled a sister We've labeled a family member an enemy because they think differently than what I do. We've said in our hearts that a sister didn't interpret a sister who forgot to send a birthday card or call on your birthday. birthday. You know, you've been deeply wounded by that. Jesus calls his followers to a revolutionary idea. He says, I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is a new teaching. It's a new concept that they were not familiar with. I believe it's a concept that we are still, 2,000 years later, unfamiliar with. We've interpreted this to mean, this is what we've interpreted it to mean, to love your sister who forgot to call on your birthday and hurt you deeply by this oversight. We've interpreted this to mean to love your fellow church member who has a different opinion on priorities for ministry than what you do. We've interpreted this to mean to love your mom who, you know, who calls you whenever you tell her you're going to do something. And she's like, well, did you really think about that? Are you sure you should do that? I don't know. Mom, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to join the circus. Well, well, go ahead. That'd be wonderful. Mom may say, wait a minute, before you quit your job and join the circus and run away, have you thought that through? Maybe we ought to finish college. My mom's always trying to control me, always trying to manipulate me. There's times where people honestly have an honest concern and they reach out to us and and because we're sensitive, we've said, no, they're my enemy. They're trying to stop me. They're trying to hinder me, okay? In your mind, here's a question. In your mind, at times, not all the time, and I know that there's situations where this is not applicable, but at times, have you and I blown things out of proportion and have we made those who think differently an enemy when they are really not an enemy? Have we made that friend who questioned us on something? Have we determined now, you're not on my team anymore? The Jews were living under Roman rule, and they longed for a Messiah who would come and throw off this oppression. 
in the midst of this. And the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about these things. But if you read through church history, you will find that there were times that the Jews rebelled against the Roman authority and, you know, against different nations that were ruling over them. And they responded with a firm response. There were times that they lived under great oppression and they were hoping for this oppression to come off of them. In the midst of this, Jesus gives this almost unbelievable command to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'm going to tell you what that would be similar to. That would be similar to saying to a person during World War II, a Jewish person who's in a concentration camp. They thrown them on the cattle cars and the rail cars. They drove several days. They bring them to a concentration camp. They separate the healthy from the unhealthy and the children. And they carry his wife. They drag his wife and his daughter off to the gas chambers. That'd be similar to saying to him, you need to love your persecutor, your enemy, and you need to pray for them. This command to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you would be very much the same as telling the mother of a GI serving in the South Pacific to pray for the Japanese who are bombing their Pearl Harbor. The equivalent today would be Jesus telling us to love members of the Taliban and to pray for them. And for many of us, we can say, yeah, I love members of the Taliban. They have not affected me. Yeah, they bombed 9-11, but that didn't touch. It touched all of us to some degree. But that wasn't my child in those towers. And yet Jesus gives this revolutionary teaching. He says, the people who hate you, the people who are trying to utterly destroy you, I want you to love them and bless them, and I want you to pray for them. Let me bring us up, show something a little closer uh, to our home. On Wednesday, May 22nd, 1968, I was less than a year old, 58 miles northwest of Saigon at a place most people will never hear anything about, a combat base called Tainin West. Seven U.S. soldiers were killed and 19 were wounded in an attack. One of those killed that day was a 20-year-old young man, and his name was Claire. He had been named after his dad. Everyone called him Butch. I cannot imagine today driving to Everett, Pennsylvania, and going to my Uncle Claire's house, who's 89 years old, and asking Uncle Claire, Uncle Claire, do you love the North Vietnamese? Uncle Claire, how often do you pray for the North Vietnamese? I can tell you, Uncle Claire would probably have some choice words for me about praying for the North Vietnamese. Over the years, my father has talked to me numerous times about Butch and his being killed. He spoke about, you know, as people get older, they tell you some of the same things over and over. And sometimes if you're not necessarily older, you still do that. He often talks about the impact that had on Uncle Claire and Aunt Janella. Things were never the same for her. After Butch died, she eventually literally lost her mind, never able to recover from that loss. Uh, He tells of how the Defense Department allowed my Uncle Jim, that would be Claire's oldest oldest living brother, and Jim was his youngest brother, and, and Jim was serving in the Marines at that time, and the Defense Department allowed Jim to accompany the body home 
from Vietnam to Pennsylvania to be buried that day. But almost every time Dad talks about Butch, he tells about the intense burden he felt that Wednesday, May 22nd, at church to pray for Butch. He said, numerous times he's told me that. He said, that night, the night he died, we were at church, and that whole day I felt this burden to pray for Butch. He said, I got around the altars after church was over, and this and I prayed, and I prayed for Butch. Now, my parents have raised me in a Christian home, and I thought they taught me a lot about following the Lord. And Dad always tells about how he interceded for Butch, not knowing at that very, probably at that very moment, halfway around the world, Butch is in the fight of his life. He's in the battle of his life that he lost. Never once. I think my dad's a godly guy. Never once has he told me about the burden that he had to pray for the North Vietnamese who killed him. Never once has he talked about how desirous he is for their protection or for their salvation or that God would deal mercifully to them. Now, I've never heard anyone in our family say they hate the North Vietnamese or anyone trying to say that they want revenge or even speaking bad of them. But isn't it ironic that my father felt this incredible burden to pray for his nephew at that specific time in that specific moment? And yet, doesn't it sound absolutely ridiculous that God would ask us to pray for the people who blew his body apart? What do you mean you want to pray for them? Like they're on their own. Let their family pray for them. Let them figure out what they're going to do. And yet that's what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us, and I'm telling you something, he asks us to do things that are absolutely impossible apart from God transforming our lives. You can't do that. That stuff doesn't happen naturally within us. Why? This revolutionary teaching that Jesus presents what he calls us to, he points to the fact that God shows his mercy and his goodness to both the righteous and the unrighteous. The Bible says it rains upon the just and the unjust. That God shows mercy to all of mankind, to whoever will open their heart to receive it, God will give mercy. All of us could identify thinking of the World War II and thinking of the Jews and people who were slaughtered, we could completely identify with them saying, God should never show mercy to those soldiers. Why would I want to pray for them? Look what they've done. But let me just say something to you. What have you done? And yet God shows his mercy to each of us. God shows his grace to your family. In spite of the mistakes and the failures that your family has made, in spite of the mistakes and failures that your parents made or your children made or your brother or your sister made, yet God shows mercy to them. And what he's asking for us to do is to start to have the heart of Jesus where he shows mercy to whoever will receive it, even those who don't deserve it. But wait a minute. That's me. The ones who don't deserve mercy is 
is me and it's you. And, and if you don't understand that, then I'm going to suggest to you that you need to, you need to understand what our sin does and how our sin separates us from God. You need to understand that our sin, that fence, that our sin is to God, and yet out of his grace and his love, he paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. Just out of sheer grace. All of the punishment that you and I deserve as a result of our sin, Jesus bore it on the cross of Calvary. And you know what he says? I don't want them to have to pay it back. Not only does he forgive us, but he accepts the punishment. And he accepted the punishment for your sin upon himself. He said, I'll bear it. He bore our sins. He bore our trespasses. He bore our punishment, our sicknesses and our diseases upon the cross. And if we're going to become like Jesus, then he's going to ask us to do things that in the natural do not make sense. He's going to ask us to forgive people and at times that we determine in our hearts they don't have to pay back for it. But wait a minute. Now, now this is what you need to understand, my friend. If Jesus is teaching in Matthew, is if you require payment back for everything that someone's done against you, then you determine the terms of God's dealing with you. You set the terms. If you'll be gracious and forgiving towards others, then God says he'll be gracious and forgiving towards you. But if you determine in your heart, no, they have to pay, they cannot let this one go, at that point, the scripture says, if we don't forgive our brothers who sin against us, that God can't forgive us because we determine the terms. The scripture says that God shows mercy to all of mankind. How are we any different if we only love those who are good to us? Even the tax collectors do that. What he's saying is even the most unrighteous in society, they're able to do that. In 1 Peter chapter 2.21, it says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Hopefully, most of us will never have to face the atrocities of someone killing a family member, of their losing their life to violence or to war. I wish that there was some way to protect you guys from the effects of sin and whether it's yours or someone else's. And, but the reality of it is we live in a world where you and I are going to be impacted by the sins of people. There's two things I want to say to you here at the end. There's some of you who will encounter wrongs that are not necessarily intentional. They're wrongs from people who really truly aren't your enemy, but the way they're acting may be your enemy. What if instead of nursing those wounds and feeling resentments and feeding the resentments, 
we followed the Lord's example and loved even our enemies and prayed for them? What if we practice what we say we believe by following Jesus' example? Maybe the world would want to know a whole lot more about the one that we serve. But one thing for sure, there'd be a lot more freedom and a lot more peace in your life if you would do that. There'd be a lot more joy because what happens is these offenses and these hurts, they put a hole in your joy barrel. They put a hole in your peace barrel. And no matter how much you try to pour in, it's always running out. And there's always a deficit because it's literally sucking the life out of people. I think if we're honest, there are some people who will be here today who will be holding on to and nursing offenses of people who are like you, family members, who really do love you. They really do love you. They might be a jerk sometimes, right? But you know in their heart they love you. Maybe it's a fellow Christian who just has a difference of opinion than you. They're not trying to utterly destroy you. They think differently than you. They have a different priority than what you do. And yet some of those people in our hearts, we have turned them into our enemies. In our hearts, we just know they're an enemy. I just hope that you'll allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I think there's so much energy that's wasted. So much energy that's wasted. So much peace and joy that's wasted. If we honestly take a look at it and look back, we can say, you know what? I've blown that out of proportion some. Yeah, they were wrong. I'm not, we're not about defending right or wrong. This just saying to you, there's times, there's things that we've, and it, but if they are your enemy, if you've determined that, that they are your enemy, the Bible says that you've you got to love them and you've got to pray for them. The people, listen to this. The people who are trying to literally, utterly, who have, who absolutely have, it's not a misunderstanding. It's not a family member who is a little bit selfish. It is, or a little self-centered, which all of us can be, okay? And like I said, all you have to do is not get your way, and you'll find out whether or not you are selfish and self-centered. But someone who literally wants your destruction, someone who would do anything they could to utterly wipe you off of the map, utterly destroy you, ruin your reputation, just completely, if they, they would do anything they could to utterly destroy you with malice. It's not an accident. It's not a, I didn't understand. It's, it's with malice. Those type of people, Jesus says, I want you to love them. And, and this is what he says too. See, I can love somebody. I, well, I don't know. I can get along okay with somebody if they just stop doing that to me. Right? Like, if you hurt me and you did it on purpose, all right, give me a little bit of time. I'll pray. I'll get over it. But most of the time, the reason why I do it is because I'm still selfish and self-centered. I don't want the pain of having hatred towards you. Okay? So it's still self-serving. It's still self-serving. 
But if someone, let's say someone hurts me and whatever, there's some kind of thing and they want to destroy me, you know, as long as they just let me alone, I can get over that. But Jesus is saying, I want you to love and pray for the people who continue to persecute you. It's ongoing. It's not stopping. That's the kind of love he calls us to. And there's a lot of people, you know what? It's like the rich young ruler. He said, you know, he comes to Jesus, and he's like, what do I got to do? Jesus tells him. He said, I've done all those things. What else? Jesus says, well, there's one thing you're lacking. You got to go and sell all that you got and come and follow me. And he walks away sad because he had great riches. And there was a lot of people who, when Jesus calls them to this kind of teaching, this is what they say. I can't do it. No, I'm not doing that. And they walk away because what he asks of us is too great. So as we close, I, I want to pray. And I want to pray for two types of people. I want to pray for those who you would say, there's some people in my life who they've become labeled enemies. They've been labeled an enemy. I don't know how they became labeled an enemy. And it really doesn't matter all the details of that. I want to be at peace. I don't want to spend all my life angry. I don't want to spend all my life carrying resentments towards them. I want to be at peace. I would rather be offended. I would rather be wronged than to live a lifetime with... They don't have to pay me back. At this point, I'm at a point where... It doesn't matter. I just want this to stop. They don't have to pay me back. They don't have to apologize. They don't have to make everything right. I just want this to stop. I want to be able to love people. And I want to be able to love them. And I don't want these emotions and feelings to get in the way of that. The second one is some of you do have people who, if we would sit down and talk, they are an enemy to you. You, there's true offenses. There's true damage that's been done. And in the natural sense, you can't get over it. You can't. In the natural, you may try to, but you can't. To love them, if they just let me alone, I'll be all right. I'll ignore them. I'll cut them off. I won't have anything to do with them. How are you any different than the tax collectors? How are you any different than the unrighteous? That's what Jesus says. He says, I'm calling you to something greater. It can only be God. I'm calling you. I want to transform your life so much that even the people who are ugly and mean to you, because you have me living inside of you, I've transformed your life so much that you're able to love and bless and pray for even the people who mistreated you or mistreat you and abuse you And when the world sees that, people are amazed. And glory is brought to the Father. Because people can say, that's only a God thing. And you're going to have peace. Because here's the thing. We can't control what everybody else does. We can't control the things they say, the things they should say, the things they didn't do, the times they forgot and should have done something. We can allow the Holy Spirit to speak in our hearts and bring about a peace and a healing And we can move on from this place. So if you just bow your heads, I just want to pray with you. 
Lord, today I just want to come before you. And Lord, in, in the Old Testament, it talks about loving our own. Lord, I just sense that maybe, not maybe, I know, just by your spirit, that there's people here who, if they're honest, they would say, they'd say, Father, I've made a huge mistake. I got people who I love and who I care about. I got brothers and sisters and in the Lord and neighbors and friends who are like me and family members who I, I've, because things have happened, I've made them an enemy in my heart. And just right now, Lord, just as a, a, I just want, I want to release them from any debt and any obligation that they have towards me. I don't want there to be things between us. And I want to be able to show them the love of Christ. And Lord, I don't want this hindrance between me and you to go on any longer because the problems with them is hindering my life with you. And, and I just want to release them. If that's you today, there's some people in your life, they're close. They're, they're like you, but they've become an enemy. And you just, you just want to say, God, just as a, just as, I'm just responding. You're not responding to me. You're responding to the Father. You're, and you're saying, Lord, I just want you to bless them. And I want you to, to prosper them. And I want you to care for them. And I want myself to be able to escape from this weight and this burden that I'm carrying with that. If that's you, can you just raise your hand? I just, I'm just going to pray. We're just going to believe that God's going to do that. All right. Lord, as your people raise their hands, I just ask God that you would release them. I pray as they've raised their hands and ask you to bless that person who's hurt them, to bless that person who's taken advantage of them, to bless that one with whom they have a disagreement or a difficulty. God, I pray in return, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would meet their every need. And I pray, God, you would re- that there would be a freedom that comes in their life. In the name of Jesus. And, and now, there, there's some of you who have that. You, you got, there's someone who in your life, they truly are. They've been an outright enemy. And you're just saying, I just need, you're just saying, God, today, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need you to do something inside of my heart that only you can do. Because I can't, it, I, I've tried, I can't do it uh, on my own. And I need God to do a miracle in my life. And I want him to change me inside so that even my enemies, those who hate me and want to destroy me, that I, I can love them and pray for them. If that's you, Dad, I, just, I want to pray over you as well. Just let me see your hand. You got some folks, you got some things in your life where someone's become an enemy to you. Lord, we pray for those today who have people in their lives who have truly become an enemy. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would transform us on the inside. I pray that you would transform us so much so that even those who hate us, even those who persecute us, even those who would purposely try to bring harm our way or our family's way. Uh, It's not a misunderstanding, Lord. They purposely want to destroy. I ask God that you would give us a love in our hearts for even those who have become, who are an enemy. I pray, God, you'd cause us to pray for them and bless them. And as a result of that, Lord, I pray that we would become more like Christ and that we would take this seriously, Lord. This is your command. He's, you command them to, you command us to pray for our enemies, 
and to love those who abuse us, persecute us. Only you can do that, God. May you transform us so that that takes place in the name of Jesus.